to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no off-season for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you inside NRG Stadium, which, as announced today, will be the host stadium for some World Cup action, one of many host cities for the 2026 World Cup. It was all announced today. Dallas is one of them, Atlanta another, L.A., San Francisco, Seattle. I won't name them all. All over North America, Canada, Mexico included as well. But Houston, certainly the host for some World Cup activity, and you'll be hearing a whole lot more about that. But welcome to Texans All Access. Minicamp in the books. We've got the General John McClain on tonight following his great event last night. General, thank you for having me be a part of that singing a little song. So many great guests there last night. It was fun. Thank you. We raised a lot of money for being angel. Dan Pastorini is one of the executives and his charities, everything Dan brings in goes to be an angel for the hearing impaired children. And it was a great night. A lot of people stepped up for the auction items. Uh, there were 10 people. I thought Gary Kubiak stole the show. As I told Gary, why weren't you that funny when you coached? He was tremendous. You did a great job with the guitar, with your little retirement blues. I thought that was very clever, and uh, I was, I'm was i still overwhelmed by the support. And all the and everybody that stepped up with the sponsorship, starting with Sarah Fraser at Sports Radio 610 and Mattress Mac, who, uh, who <laughs> Mac was supposed to go first. He went last because he got his days wrong. And I think that's what happens when you bet $20 million on the Astros to win the World Series and you got to ride a bike from uh, gallery furniture to uh, to uh, the improv. But it was a tremendous night. Thank you for being part of it. John, I find it, I don't want to say hilarious, but it felt like the talking point on Twitter after the event was, oh my gosh, Gary Kubiak is so funny. And I I, I find this interesting because Jeff Van Gundy, I think we found out, has this personality that everybody loves. But when he's coaching, you're so down in the details. But you've known Gary for a long time. Did you know he had kind of the comedic chops? And maybe it was just because he was roasting you or toasting you. But did you kind of know he had that in him? You've known him for that long. Did you know it was there? No. What? No, I did not. I'm, right. I've seen – I've talked to Gary a lot, but I've never heard Gary Kubiak have people rolling in the aisles. That was the biggest surprise everybody had. And uh, he was funny. He came prepared. He had some great lines. And uh, I was so happy he did it because he's headed the College World Series where his Aggies are playing the Longhorns, coached by his brother-in-law, David Pierce. So he's got a lot of baseball on his mind. And it was great to see Gary, but, man, he stole the show. Well, I knew he would, and that's why when I saw the order, I went up right after him, and I thought, oh, that's great. And I knew before he went up, John, I and John, I knew that he was going to be excellent because every time I've done an event with Gary. Now, Gary, press conference, Gary, is different. Press conference, Gary, makes Bill Belichick look like Chris Rock. All right. But Gary at an event is completely different, totally animated, 
Uh, we've had them at kickoff luncheons and uh, draft luncheons. We used to do that back in the day. And every time I've done an event, I did a touchdown club thing with him once. He was wonderful at those. So I knew he was going to be great last night in that setting at the improv. And that's why I thought, all right, great. I got to follow Gary Kubiak. The improv is inviting him back to do some stand up <laughs> at his convenience. <laughs> that's good. John, I'll ask you this about my partner to the left. How was the song? How did he do? He did really well. He was trying to sing low and somewhere in there, he was trying to mimic me, which of course he can't do, but it was very clever that he took the time to come up with lines like that. And it was so different. My wife, Carol leaned over and said, can Mark play the guitar? I said, of course he wouldn't be making a fool out of himself like that. If he couldn't, she said, can he sing? I said, I don't know. After it, she said, they can't sing. <laughs> can't sing. Well, you know, it's, uh, I kind of talked through it. It's a talking through type song with a lot of clunky lyrics, but the rhymes hit. As long as the rhymes yes, hit. They yes, they did. Yes, they did. And it was very ingenious, and I appreciate you making the effort to do that. Well, it was fun. And, General, let's talk about minicamp because it's over now, and the Texans head for their break. Uh, they got a lot accomplished. I mean, I think every team feels like that. I was talking with Gary Kubiak last night about this because he's asked me how it's going. I said, well, coach, if you don't think you've gotten better during May and June, I mean, that's it, right? You got to pretty much hang it up at that point. Everybody feels like they got better in May and June. At least I hope they would. But the Texans certainly look a whole lot better at this point than they have last year. And then I'll say this. They look a lot better at this point than they have in many years of their history. Now they have to take it from there and build from it and execute it, but they are where they are. This is what we saw. What was your general take? First of all, the off-season program is about the mental. You know, nobody hits, nobody covers legitimately, nobody rushes. So you want to see things from Davis Mills like, does he, as soon as he drops back, does the ball come out? Is it accurate? Uh, is it on target? Does it go to the right spot? And Mills, I'm not saying he looks like a different quarterback from the end of last season because he was really good over the end of last season. But everybody's fired up about the step that they believe he's going to take. And then what you really look like, and it'll take training camp before we know, is Damian Pierce, the fourth-round pick, who I believe will rush for 1,000 yards because of two reasons, emphasis on the running game and the fact they want to make the running game better because it was so bad last year. Nico Collins is the wide receiver that stood out the most to me. Can't wait to see John Mechie when he's 100% and he's playing in the slot between Collins and Cooks. And we know we knew from the get-go Titus Howard's right tackle. A.J. Ken is the right guard. I think it's only a matter of time for Kenyon Green. Second number one pick works his way into left guard. People are like, hand-wringing over Laramie Tunsil not being at OTAs. And as I've, as I've said on every show I've been on in my 47, 45 years covering the NFL, never at the end of the season did I ever hear or see anyone say or write that, boy, Mac, that Mark Vandermeer had a bad season. He should have been at OTAs. 
You know, the time they get to the season, OTAs are a distant memory. People think about camp beginning. And that's when, even though they don't go full out and blast each other, you can still talk, tell more about them. And the young guys, not just this year's draft, but the five returning from last year, all of whom flash from Davis Mills down to Roy Lopez, you want to see significant improvement in them. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and it's not just me. Like Spencer Tillman, I watched two two practices with Spencer. I want to see his observations. Everybody loves Jalen Petrie, the second-round pick from Baylor, and I'm the only one who cares he went to Baylor. We didn't get to see Derek Stingley. They took it easy. We'll see him in training camp. And a lot of guys, like, I think a guy that's going to have the biggest breakout season on the defense, and he kind of did last year, is Jonathan Grenard, if he's healthy because he's going to have improvement uh, with the players along alongside him. I look for him to be a double-digit sack guy if he's still on the field. Of the linebackers, they got depth. The coaches love Garrett Wallow going into his second season. And who doesn't like a linebacker runs a 4-4-4 like Christian Harris from Alabama? Yeah, that speed runs in the Harris family, just so you know, John. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to you? Yeah, exactly. I think they ostracized me from the Harris family for that particular reason. John, you mentioned John Grenard. He's a 2020 draft pick. Charlie Heck, we've seen start uh, probably 14, 15 times over the last couple of years uh, because of injuries. He stepped in there. He's done a solid job. But the guy that was drafted first for the Texans was a second rounder in that draft, and that's Ross Blacklock. The Texans re-signed Malik Collins. They drafted Thomas Booker to play a position very similar to Ross Blacklock's. How much pressure do you think Ross has going into training camp to perform and be that guy the Texans thought they were drafting at number 40 in 2020? Every day that Ross is with the franchise, he is reminded of the De- – of, of, we are reminded of the DeAndre Hopkins trade because they got Blacklock and David Johnson. And David Johnson's gone looking for a job, and he did not do a good job here. And Ross has not been a starter. He's part of the rotation. And so some guys take a third year before they realize their potential and what they're, what they're supposed to do. Maybe he'll be that guy who comes in and plays tackle and gets an inside push. But to me, it's kind of a make or break season for him because of the depth that they have acquired up front. And when you're playing a four, three and you don't blitz a lot, You've got to have people who can rush the passer. Now, that's not Roy Lopez. Roy Lopez is not a big pass rusher. But when you bring those guys in from the sub-packages, they got to be able to contribute to the pass rush. And if Blackhawk could get like five sacks, then that would be a good season and people would go, aha. You know, he's contributing. But you're right. On defense, there to me, I'm thinking real quick of veterans. There's not a veteran player with more pressure on him than Ross Blacklock on that defense. John, who will be the second leading receiver on this team, assuming Brandon Cooks leads the way? What are you thinking? Oh, Nico Collins. Nico Collins out there. He's 6'4". He looks like he's gained 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. He's not going to get muscled around as he did with the rookie. The fact that he caught 30 passes after opting out of his last year at Michigan Think about how much last year an off-season program helped him. He worked after practice, which I love it. Brandon Cooks always does that. A lot of the receivers followed his lead and would stay out there. So I think it'll be Collins. And I think probably over the second half of the season, 
once John Mechie is a healthy, and I think he could be healthy for the start of the season, but he's going to have to go through a learning experience as a slot receiver in the NFL. I think you'll see him become even better. And, and Brevin Jordan, my goodness, he's going into his second year. He's more of a receiver than a blocker. Davis Mills is going to have some weapons at wide receiver, tight end, and running back that he can throw the ball to. John, we've talked uh, maybe about every single guy on this roster at some point throughout this offseason, whether we've done it with you or Mark and I have talked about it on All Access. So it may not, the answer to this question may be a little bit more difficult because you're like, well, I've been talking about that guy. But is there a guy that you look at and think, you know what, there's not enough said about this guy. I think this guy's got an opportunity to make the roster, get some more playing time, maybe off the beaten path that you've watched, that you've looked at and thought, this guy we need to keep our eyes on as we go through training camp. Do you have one of those names in mind? I do. I marked down guys here that I might want to mention, and uh, there are two or three. One of them's MJ Stewart, the safety from Cleveland, as a free agent. I would look up and see him knocking down passes. Another one is Jonathan Owens. Uh, Jonathan, you know, he's pushing for a starting job. You know, he's ready to take that next step. And if he and if he ever steps up and becomes a productive player, uh, Simone Biles will be known as uh, his wife instead of him being known as her husband when they get married, they're engaged. And I think they're getting married this off season. And another one that, uh, that I've paid close attention to here is uh, uh, Graylin Arnold, the corner. Yes, he's from Baylor. And I started watching him because Spencer Tillman, Spencer's watching him. Spencer's marking down things. Of course, he's an analyst for Fox. And he looked over at me the other day and he said, that 35, Man, he's knocking down some passes. Man, watch how 35's covering in the red zone. And I'm thinking, geez, another Baylor guy. I can't talk about him. Everybody's going to think it's because of Baylor. No, it came from an Oklahoma guy, Spencer Tillman. All right, there you go. Spencer Tillman from OU, giving that Baylor player some love. That is very nice indeed. Well, Petrie's gotten love from Lovey Smith. And then you look at Garrett Wallow getting love from Nick Casario. John, the Texans brass, they're not shy about talking about individual players, which hasn't happened around here a lot. Now, ask specifically, former coaches would say some things, maybe GMs as well. Uh, But these guys have brought up some players unsolicited, and I think it's kind of refreshing for the fans to hear their perspective on certain players. Gets people excited. The Texans, we all know they won four games each of the last two years on the way up, and you want to know who to sort of zero in on as a media member and as a fan. I think one of the reasons they do that, they're sending a message to the player for a job well done for what they wanted done in the off season. And um, I think there are other players like that. You know, I'm, we're all big fans of Tavier Thomas and I know Lovey Smith likes him a lot. It's his second season. I could see him taking that next step. You know, we take for granted the greatest snapper in NFL history, John Weeks, because he's been tremendous. I can't wait to see Jerry Hughes just because I remember when he played running back here and then he went to TCU and he became a premier pass rusher from after Indy and Buffalo. And uh, I'm wondering who is going to be this year's Camus Grugier Hill, who was with another team and didn't do much, but when he gets into this system and he's coached by these coaches, including special teams, I'm sorry, defense coordinator, Lovey Smith, making those calls, 
who's going to be Cam Hill. There is somebody on the roster who will step up, a veteran from another team, and will go, aha, that guy is another find by Nick Casario and the personnel department. Well, what's your prediction, John Harris? Give me a give me a Camu Grugier Hill 2022. I think John McClain just hit on one a little while ago. MJ Stewart would fit that that mm-hmm. profile relatively perfectly. A guy that did play in Cleveland, didn't start his entire time. Probably started and played a little bit more than Camu did when he, before he got to the Texans. But Camu got here and what was the first thing we said? Oh, he'll help on special teams, right? And then he. He led the team in tackles. He led him in TFLs. He was all over the place last year. MJ's going to have to, he's going to have to work through that. that John mentioned it. The safety position is it's loaded with guys that can go out there and make plays. So they're going to have to kind of sift through that and, and find those, those two particular guys. But I, I'm curious um, who, who that could possibly be. But I go, I would go MJ Stewart. What about the two of y'all? What do you say? What about Oboe? A guy looking for an opportunity to rush in a four-man front after coming off the bench. And they need pass rushers in the worst way. And maybe he'll get a chance in passing situations. But he's a five-year veteran. And um, and the reason I said Obos because I don't have to pronounce the rest of his name. I just Mark? I just realized who mine was. I mean, MJ Stewart, I, I think Uh-oh, is, is you that. Gotta know. Wait, wait, wait. Don't steal okay, mine. Okay, I won't go. All right. no. I'll go with Rasheem Green. Oh, dang it. Not exactly under the radar, but and Rasheem Green uh, could turn into something really special in this defense. And on offense, I know he was here last year, and I keep talking about him, but don't sleep on Philip Dorsett, people. That's why I asked yeah. you the second leading receiver question, because I think Nico could still have a good year, and somehow Dorsett erupts along with Brandon Cooks. And we'll see what the definition of erupt is in the context of what the 2022 Texans can do. But I think Dorsett can really help this squad. Let me tell you what about Rasheem Green. I, I got a couple of people that have worked with the Seahawks for years, and they changed their their front. And so he became expendable. Six and a half sacks last year off the bench. They say he's, he's an end. And he played left end in place of John Grenard in the offseason program. But he can move inside to tackle. And they say he works his tail off. He's a great guy. They hated to let him go, but you got to make tough decisions. You know, he's 6'4", weighs 279. And that's the size of a tackle in a four-man front when you're rushing the passer. I look for him to boost the pass rush. If he had six and a half here, he would have been second to John Grenard. Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes would have been right up there too. Seeing how Casario and Smith do at defensive end, who they keep, that's going to be maybe the most competitive positions because there's the sheer numbers. There's so many of them. Yeah, 17 defensive linemen. Yeah, Rasheem Green was the one that popped into my head as John was talking. That I that's definitely a guy. That's definitely a guy to watch. And I think every team, no matter you run a 3-4, in particular a 4-3, because it is inside, outside, whereas a 3-4 kind of all merges together. I think you have to have a guy. And last year was DeMarcus Walker. DeMarcus Walker gave this team some good reps last year. Mm -hmm. And he was an inside-outside sort of guy. Now, Rasheem is built way differently, but the same sort of concept of this guy can bounce inside. I think when you're only going to have eight guys available on the defensive line on game day. You got to have somebody that does go inside, outside uh, like that. John, two quarterbacks are, have been in the news. They both were at minicamp. 
but they're sitting there waiting on big contracts. Who do you think gets the big second contract first, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray has an agent. Lamar Jackson doesn't. And I think that Lamar Jackson wants the the bidding to start at $231 million guarantee. And how do you tell your quarterback who's been an MVP and has accomplished more than Deshaun Watson? Yeah, he's got $230 million guarantee, but we're not giving it to you. You know, every general manager is going to say, hey, that's an outlier. You can't go by that. And the agent's going to say, yes, you can. So I'm, I'm going to say Murray because he has a legitimate agent. And uh, I, I, and then Jackson, boy, considering how much he was hurt last year, say they offered him $200 million guaranteed. How could he turn that down? Mm. I don't know what they've offered him. But when you're a quarterback and you are exposed to injuries in so many different ways and you could get that kind of money guaranteed, and that's not going to be the last contract he signs. Jackson's like 25 years old. And so I would, I'm, I'm going to say Murray because he's not going to be as expensive because he hasn't done anything near what Lamar Jackson has. It's a great point. Murray has no case to say he belongs in the same market as Mahomes, Jackson, even Watson, you could say. So, yeah, there's that. I think the $230 million is fascinating what it does to the Ooh. market. General, uh, this week's Baker Mayfield update, I don't think there is one, although I guess uh, any rumors of a possible Darnold for Baker Mayfield trade are apparently off. But were they ever on? I mean, was that ever going to happen anyway? Somehow Carolina is going to find a way to acquire a quarterback, you would think. They can't afford to go through the season like this. First of all, I think it's absolutely preposterous that David Tepper, the wealthiest owner in the NFL until uh, uh, Walton is officially uh, ordained by the Broncos, that he would not want to pay Baker Mayfield's contract. That a deal breaker was he had to pay too much. $18 million for him is like tip money for us. And I don't understand, is that really the reason it's being held up? Have they agreed on the compensation? Mayfield and his two years of healthy, he was really good. Last year, he was hurt. We saw him get hurt, blow out that left shoulder, and then play the rest of the year. What I do not understand is why Seattle, with Geno Smith running first team and Drew Locke second, has not acquired Mayfield going into the last year of his contract. Uh, with a big chip on his shoulder. General, all the Bears players at practice are wearing number 41 today in honor of Brian Piccolo. Now, I happen to love this because I saw Brian's song. I was not really aware of what was happening as a fan in that era because I was very young. But what do you make of this? This sounds like a great way to pay tribute to him. Brian's song, still my favorite sports movie, 1971 ABC Movie of the Week with uh, James Conn and Billy D. Williams. I still get teary-eyed thinking about it. I think uh, probably nobody on that team has a clue who he is, but they will now. And, of course, it's one of the – it was the first movie who had a famous person, an athlete, die. And because it was so popular, and it was true, we've had so many of those uh, through the subsequent decades. But sometimes when you guys have time, I will tell you a story behind the scenes at the Hall of Fame when I saw the real Gale Sayers do something similar. 
Oh, he died 52 years ago today, by the way. Piccolo did. Ooh. Played by James Conn. Well, you brought up Gail Sayers, and that made me think. I was asked a question this week, John. I want to hit you with this. Frank Gore going to the Hall of Fame. I'm sure you get hit that a lot. And obviously, you were a Hall of Fame voter. We talked about that a lot. And I always like to bounce this off of you. Frank Gore put up tremendous numbers over his career. He's going to end up you know, more than likely top five in nearly every Russian category because he seemingly played forever. But I got a question about Jamal Charles, who is outstanding. I think his overall yards per rush in the NFL is 5.4 yards per carry. I think that's NFL best. So he had a shorter period of dominance like Gil Sayers did. Then you have Frank Gore, who put up a lot of numbers. How do you guys as the Hall of Fame committee and how do you as a Hall of Fame voter kind of sift through that? The fact that Gore put up massive numbers, but he did over a long stretch of time. Charles, not as many numbers, but he was pretty dominant for the six, seven years that he played. When I watched Jamal Charles in high school, UT, and with the Chiefs, I always thought he's a great breakaway runner, but I never thought there goes a Hall of Famer. Now, I've changed my mind a lot when I see evidence about what they meant to their team, what opponents thought about him when it came to game plans. And Frank Gore, because of his longevity, and I think longevity can be important, just like I don't think you should hold it against a player with a short career. Terrell Davis is the greatest playoff running back in history and took us forever to put him in there. And he wasn't too shabby when he was healthy with the Broncos, 2,000-yard seasons, MVPs. And Charles was a tremendous breakaway back. But I've got to see more than the average per carry. I want to see what he did on third and one. Did they go to him? How much? What was his percentage? But I will listen to anybody who wants to make a case for anyone. Well, you know who had, what, 10 more touchdowns than Jamal Charles? Arian Foster. Yeah. That was the name I brought up in the argument was Arian Foster. So is Arian Foster's career a Gale Sayers type career? I can't say that. Sayers was, I mean, Foster was great. I'm not taking anything away from Foster. Sayers is an outlier in terms of the longevity versus, man, the explosiveness and massive production over a short period of time. So there's that. And Gale Sayers played in some of the worst conditions you could play in, in Chicago, slop. And he yeah. was making quick cuts, and he was he was unbelievable. The one, of the th- one of the things I love about the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where I've been 20 times or maybe, maybe 50, is going in to the room where they have the highlights, and you can push a button on the players and watch them over and over. And I love watching Earl Campbell for power, and I love watching – uh, Gail Sayers for the breakaway speed, especially in the conditions in which he played uh, at Wrigley Field almost every game. John, what's going on with Sports Radio 610? More shows. I'm on there with you guys, of course, every Thursday, and I'm on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Got a remote on Fridays. Wolfie's out off 249. I love meeting people that come out to our to our remotes. I did Tuesdays. We did Cormier's Kitchen when when John Lopez, Landry Locker, and Piggy Fig celebrated their 1,000th show, and we always want people to come out. And uh, thank you guys for having me very much. Mark, thanks again for your contribution at the Improv, and I look forward. I won't see you at the OTAs or minicamp, but I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much, General. Really uh, delighted to be out there with you last night. Coming up, we're going to talk about running back performances for the Houston Texans over the years and 
What will constitute a good performance this year for some of the individuals involved? The ground game. It's got to get better. We'll talk about it next on Texans Radio. More Texans Radio is on the way. The Houston Texans and Chevron have teamed up with the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston and the Houston Food Bank to create the Chevron Market Pantry at the Houston Texans Team Club. The partnership provides food to the local community and is run by Team Club members and Chevron volunteers. Together, we're helping make Houston a better place to call home. Texans Radio is back. Keeping your company, not keeping it cool, but keeping it company. Thursday evening program. Thanks to the general for being on. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you. And Johnny, we're going to play one gigantic who's better. Sort of a a version of that based on Texans. And this is one of the hits we like to play from time to time. Texans thousand yard rushers. Oh, man. Yes. And can first of all, can you name them? Can you name the five people who have rushed for one thousand? That's all I got. Let me count them here. Okay. So in no particular order. Yeah. That's the hardest it. one I would think is Carlos Hyde. I don't think people remember he did that in 2019. I, it's so recent though. That I one's know. really fresh for me. Arian. Yes. Dominic. Yes. Steve Slayton. Correct. That's four. A lot of people would forget about Steve Slayride Slayton. Steve Slayton. Um, and Ben Tate never had a thousand. Nope, he, close. He, he was nine hundred. I remember 942. that. Nine forty-two. Um, there's one more year. Oh, you're forgetting. Yeah, there's one, he had one one thousand yard season here. Feels like he should have had more. Lamar Miller. Yes. In 2016, he ran for over a G note. Yeah. For the Houston Texans, but Foster has the top two performances in league history in rushing yards per season. Number three all-time rushing yard performance belongs to Steve Slayton. Then it's Foster Foster. Then Dominic makes his first appearance yep. from 2004, 1,188 yards. Dominic Williams, formerly Dominic, Dominic Davis. Lamar Miller after that with 1,073. Carlos Hyde, 1,070. And then Dominic again, 1,031 after that. Dominic is next up with 976. So he had three seasons one of them was close to 1,000, the other two over 1,000. I just say three 1,000-yard seasons just to make it easy in my memory when I'm summarizing Texans running backs' careers. And then Lamar, Tate. After Tate, the next guy up is Ron Dane. 2007? Correct, 773 yards. Oh, by the way, wow. so I'm talking with Gary Kubiak last night, and I'm talking OTA offense. And yeah. I talked about what I wrote regarding Texans quarterbacks out there right now that I had a hunch that this might have been the fewest starts combined among the group, and it wasn't even close. This is actually one of the most starts combined, or up there anyway. And it was 2007 with Schaub and Rosenfels having two starts apiece. And he he won't mind me saying this. He said, I said, you had three other quarterbacks in camp in May and June. And he said, yeah, was Liner there then? I'm like, no, Liner was 2009. I said, who are you? He said, he goes, you remember all that stuff, Vandermeer. You remember all that. You know, I think for coaches very often it's just so in the moment. Yeah. And it's so hyper-focused. And then, you know, certain things become a blur. He's coached so much in his life. Think about all the running backs, quarterbacks that Gary Kubiak has dealt with over the yeah, course of absolutely. his career. absolutely. And look, when you've coached, it's funny because I remember being a not only a younger coach, but just a younger person. 
And I remember, especially teaching-wise, I really prided myself on knowing every single one of my students' names by the time they left class that first day. By the way, Liner was later than 2009, but yeah. I corrected myself. Go ahead. Um, and I always prided myself on that. And then as I got older, I'm like, I would be out and about, and somebody would be like, hey, Coach Harris. And I'm like, hey, you dang it. You dang remember. it. Oh, that's tough. Oh, uh, but you also have to have – I also feel like, for me, just jogging memory on things, I have to have some moment where I remember, oh, yeah, that guy did this and this particular game. And, oh, I remember that game was in 2005. I can do yeah. that. So mm-hmm. um, I think if you would have said – yeah, Gary, you don't remember Matt Liner getting hurt in a Jacksonville game? He probably would have gone, oh, yeah, that was 2011. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I'm sure he could recount everything from yeah. 2011 that happened. It was just that when I was talking about off-season practice and things like that. Here's another one. I yeah. don't know if you've ever heard. Sean McVay does this and Lincoln Riley does oh, plays this. plays and situations. You can give him the situation of a game, any game. Yeah. Second and 12, this particular. He can tell you what play he called. He can tell you the result of the play. Mm-hmm. McVay's done that. They made that a part of the Lincoln Riley radio show at Oklahoma. Teddy Lehman would give him a play when he was an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma yep. or a head coach and say, here's the situation, 2018, you're playing Texas at the Cotton Bowl. It's third quarter, eight minutes left. You got a first and 10 on the minus 35. What did you call And he can he can recall it. And I'm like, wow. that's. Strong. I mean, I can remember – certain things and certain plays i can remember i can remember what i called it um a lot i can remember a lot of those and then my wife would get mad at me like how did you forget to take out the trash but you can remember all that you just your brain works in different ways i'm good at recalling all right in week four of 2008 this happened i can't do every week now probably but i can get real close and I can definitely remember the flow of a season and yep. particular games all over. I mean, every Texans game, you asked me what happened yeah. uh, playing the Jags on the road in 2005. And I can tell you what happened. Yeah. You yeah. know, I don't know if I can name the score, right. but I can tell you the flow. Obviously, win or lose, I can tell you the flow and maybe a big moment or two in the game. Yeah. I mean, that's so coaches are are unique in that way. Like there's some things they will just absolutely remember. Um but I loved hearing that Gary was, you know, tore the house down last night. That's re- that that's really cool. And again, I, I wasn't surprised at all. Yeah. I, ex- I anticipated that, so I felt. In, I I just Were you surprised felt, with McLean's answer. I was surprised with McLean's answer. I was surprised with Sean Pendergast not knowing. But I don't know if those guys, uh, Sean and Seth. Well, Seth had them in meetings, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. I don't know if he's like, you know, cutting it up in the meetings. But but I anybody who's seen him speak at an event before should have known yeah. that he was going to be that good. Yeah. You know, I, and so I was not surprised at all. Anyway, and I got to answer your question. I okay, got to answer go your question. You said of, of those thousand yard rushers, Slayton is the one you forget because he only did it for for a year, I think. And Carlos was recent. So I think people, more people remember who's that. the best non Aryan back. That sounds bad the way I phrased that. No, Non-Arian Foster back. I won't say Dominic because I didn't get a chance to see Dominic up close. I was a massive fan of Slayton. In that year, we actually did radio with him that year in 2008. We did radio with him that year, and he, I'll never forget, it was after the Browns game. Browns game was late in the year. No wonder why you guys never went to a Kubiak speaking event. Because well, we you could, were on the air. We were on the air, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so uh, 
Johnny Grant would bring back the the sound, and we would do kind of an audio jukebox where I got that idea mm-hmm. because he would bring back the sound, he would play it, and then we would uh, we would opine on what he was saying in those spots. Well, Steve would come by, and we did it. It was a rotation of three. And so he came by, I think it was after the Browns game, and he walked in, and he looked like absolute Hades. He just, you're like, whoa, are you okay? He's like, I haven't gotten out of bed all day. It was just the pounding of that season and going through all that. So when he got hurt the next year, I was not totally surprised because he had been so beat up the year before, so he's trying to bulk up and all that, but – Man, I felt so bad for him that he had, you know, had that such a great year. And oh, the Monday night game! Oh, that Monday night game against, um, uh, uh, gosh, one more John Jacksonville. Yeah, Jacksonville. He was so good that night. He was just so good down the stretch. And you're like, this is the speed element this team really, really needs. This team needs this explosive speed. And ironically, the guy ends up being the best back of, you know the organization's history was a guy that was probably a 4-6 guy, four, six guy. Arian was never overly fast, but had, had every football attribute you wanted. Football speed, Johnny. Oh. He played 4-6, right? He was Is that it? That when it. he broke through his the cutting ability, just the vision, the oh. ability to see the hole and make the most of it. It was incredible. 2010, and, and he was banged up a little bit through his years, but 2010 through 2014. And that's the thing with running backs. I think the the romanticism in the city of Houston, Earl Campbell. We all Earl Earl's our guy, but how many years was Earl dominant in the city of in the city of Houston? Starting in seventy eight and going through what, eighty two? Five years? Oh maybe? yeah, it's not a long period of time. And that's the hard thing and the difficult thing with running backs is it's just a blip. You look up and it's over. It's done. And the Cowboys might be going through that with Zeke right now. It feels like Zeke just got there. And he might be on the, he might be on hole fifteen or sixteen right now. It's four seasons in Houston that Earl was truly Earl. Well, make that five, right? Because he dipped in '82. I guess he got. Oh no, that's that's the nine game season. He played every game. That was the strike season. So he played every game that season. I don't know. Earl was dominant for let's see, four plus two more. So six seasons of Earl being Earl. Now, a couple of those seasons, he dipped below four yards per carry right. uh, in 81 and then in 82. Right. So, all right, whatever. So, I mean, you if, you think about, if you think about four just outstanding seasons, yeah. 2018, 19, 20, 21. I mean, who was drafted in 2018? I mean, we don't have anybody anymore, but, you know, that's how long Justin Reed was here. And it yeah. feels like Justin came in and was out. It was – in a blink. Well, that was Earl, but we have this romantic idea about Earl. So it's also what you accomplished. True. You know, uh, those those games in the postseason take on a yeah. greater magnitude, and no just doubt. just the buildup between a divisional win and into the AFC Championship game, all the emotions involved. Yeah. That lasts so long in your memory. Yeah. I believe, especially for those guys. Right. 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 They were a tremendous team, and you know, last night I was uh, amongst. Yeah, obviously. Pastorini yeah, how was that? I didn't ask you how it Elvin was. Elvin Mean Joe Green was there. Yeah. Pastorini had a great line. Somebody heckled from the audience. It wasn't a bad one, but it was a little remark. Yeah, yeah. And Pastorini said, hey, Mean Joe Green's over there, and now he's my friend. 
<laughs> and he talked about me and Joe Green breaking his ribs. It was awesome. <laughs> That's pretty. I mean, I was listening. Who was I listening? Is at the end of the show yesterday, and Clint. I think Clint was at the show, and show was back in studio, and so Clint just kind of talking about who was out there. And he goes, "Yeah, me and Joe Green just walked in," and I was. Oh no! I got I, chills. I, I, Oh, my gosh. Wade Phillips, all the guys I just mentioned, Elvin, yeah. Dr. Doom, they were all there. Uh, Vernon Perry was there. Uh, I, I but those guys, story. it's understandable. They're they're Houston Oilers. Yeah, but Mean Joe. Mean Joe's a stealer. I know, and it's That's great. That's pretty it's awesome. It's great. Larry Durker was there also. I'm going to oh. miss people. All right, next up, we'll okay. go around the league, maybe a little bit more of this kind of conversation because this is fun here on Texans All Access. Stay tuned for more on the Houston Texans and the NFL on Texans All Access. As of March 2022, Hyundai has won more total IIHS top safety awards than any other brand over the past eight years with optional front crash prevention and specific headlights. And here's another reason to feel safe. Every new Hyundai comes with America's best warranty. It's your journey. Own it with Hyundai. Get 2.79% APR for 60 months on our most popular models with new inventory arriving daily. Visit your local Hyundai dealer, the official car of the Houston Texans. Offer N7522. Call 469-613-0227 for more details. Two seven for more details. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Final segment, short one, because we've been rambling all day here on Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris with you talking about the McLean event last night, talking about Texans running backs. Uh, we never related to this year, and I think it's really up for grabs here, Johnny. You could have a Marlon Mack emerge and regain his form. You could have, who knows, maybe Royce Freeman erupts somehow. Yeah. He looked really good as a rookie. He did, yeah. You know, obviously, everyone's talking about Damian Pierce. Jed Anderson could be really interesting. Yeah. You, know, you never know. Dario Gunboale, I don't look at him as a 1,000-yard potential rusher, but you never know. He's a special teams demon, and he's going to help you out in the ground attack. And a lot of it has to do with the big guys up front. If they're opening holes, then a lot of guys can run through them and get some yards. And what's the one thing that you always say when we start talking about positional analysis? And injuries. Sometimes injuries solve the problem. Yeah. And you don't want that to be the case, but that's the reality, especially at that NFL. particular position. When you start banging each other with the pads, come training camp, then you get into preseason games. I just feel better about the depth there. There have been years where, okay, the top two guys we know are, are fine. Who the heck's going to be number three? Who's going to be number four? There are a couple guys vying for it, but I don't think I look at those years and think, okay, well, I feel great because we got one and two, but, man, what if, what's some, what if something happens to one of those guys? I look at this group and go one through six. I don't even know how I would rank them right now if I was forced to do that. I feel like they've all got something a little different they bring to the party. And I can't remember if it was Nick or Love who said this when asked about that running back group, that every single day during the offseason, there has been one of those guys making a play. Like every every one of those guys has made a play, made them kind of you know stand out mm, that's to what the you staff want. throughout this offseason. And that's exactly what you want. And that's been good. My boy DP's got to hang on the football, though. Oh, well, look, those guys are all going after it. And this is the time of year you want to learn that. Learn those hard lessons learn right now. now. Learn, learn it, it now. Learn it now. Get to camp, get in the pads, and play clean. And that's what you want to see here, that, okay, OTAs are OTAs for a reason. You know, you're getting timing down. You're getting to know how to operate yes. in this league. I'll give you a position that I'm pretty encouraged with the depth of 
poorly phrased sentence, but that's what it is. It's not ocean deep, but I like the backup quarterback. I like Kyle Allen. Yeah. I think Kyle Allen, as a guy who you might need in a spot or two or maybe longer, let's hope not. Yeah. But Kyle Allen has been ripping some throws. Yes, he has. And, you know, he's out there with the twos for the most part. So you're looking at a player who's not getting to work a lot with Brandon Cooks and Nico and Brevin Jordan and people like that. I know they mix up a little bit the levels. And, you know, we got into it with Lovey about the depth chart and everything. I like that they have him. I think it's a a solid player to have at that position for that role. Kyle Allen has all the physical traits you're looking for. I mean, there was never any issue with that as he was in college at A&M and University of Houston. I, I hate the fact that he went to A&M to start with because he got stuck in that Kyler Murray, Kevin Murray drama with Kevin Sumlin and all that. And so Allen decides to transfer to the University of Houston. He's got the he's got the traits. He's got the arm strength. He's won. How about how about this? Did you know? Kyle Allen actually has more wins as a starting quarterback at NRG Stadium than Davis Mills. Wait, because Mills doesn't have too many. Mills has the Chargers. Yeah. And and Kyle Allen has the Texans in 2019. Yeah. Mills' other win was at Jacksonville. As an Aggie in 2015, they beat Arizona State. Ah, you're counting college ball. Yes. Technicality. I guess Stanford never played here. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. We've got another big one for you tomorrow as we close out the week. Go to the app, the Texans app, for all the videos, articles, information, ticket information on your Houston Texans. We are looking forward to a big season, an improved season. It's going to be fun. Thanks for listening. Go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. How do we outsmart cancer? At Houston Methodist, we're creating nanodevices to directly treat tumors, minimizing side effects. We're researching how repurposing existing treatments can stop the deadliest form of breast cancer from spreading. And removing cervical cancer without affecting the uterus so you can still give birth. That's the difference between practicing medicine and leading it. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. To learn more, visit HoustonMethodist.org.